Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin, and I'm starting to think about NCAA tournament dreams for men's basketball, Jack. What about you? Yeah, so am I. I, I. Who do you think has the better chance at winning it all this season? JMU, Dayton, San Diego State, or Gonzaga? I think I know where you may have that. I mean, I absolutely love what Dayton has um, talent-wise. I think they're good. San Diego State hasn't lost a game. We know what Mark Few can do at Gonzaga. Dukes are just slept on nationally. <laughs> I mean, you look at what they're able to do offensively and defensively. If they completely lock in and change everything they've done from, from this point forward, who's to say that they won't make a run? I mean, look at their tempo. If you just look at tempo only, (laughs) they're one of the best teams in the nation. And I don't see why people aren't talking about that. Yeah, their offense is one of the worst in the nation. And their defense, that leaves something to be desired. But their tempo, their tempo is tops in the nation. And I I think that'll start to turn around. I think high tempo wins games late in the season. I love me some good Ken Palm. You know this. <laughs> and one of the things that fascinates me is like how poorly fast tempo translates to wins. You look at the top 30 teams in adjusted tempo. Two of them are in the Ken Palm top 50. Gonzaga at number 30. Then Alabama, which is only 13 and 10, slides in at number three. Outside of that, a lot of these teams that run fast tempo are awful. I, I think it's kind of just a way to mask your problems. Just like run it. If we get more shots, we can possibly (laughs) be good. But if we only take UVA amount of shots, there's no way we're winning this game. And it's also like, you know what? It's going to be fun to watch us play, folks. Like, (laughs) buy your tickets because we are going to run up and down as fast as possible. You know what I really don't understand? Why don't more teams that aren't that great work on Havoc defense? Like how VCU, like made it to the final four, just having a fantastic full. And I know it's, it's a lot more than just like doing a full court press for an entire <laughs> game. I know there's a lot more to it, but I don't get why more teams just don't like condition and focus 
like on practice to like run a good press or a good trap defense, kind of like a havoc. I really, that never, like we saw it work and we see it work every game when like a team like switches to a full court and another team can't break it. Like, Right, and then you look at Jamie's future coach, Shaka Smart, and he went away from it at Texas. <laughs> you did, though. And like, why? And they're bad. It makes no sense. But, I mean, you look at, like, mid-majors, like JMU. If they just ran 10 guys deep and just full-court press the whole game, they couldn't be worse than they possibly are. And JMU's already practically running their entire bench every game. I mean, you're seeing Quinn right. Ritchie, Devin Flowers, Michael Christmas. We'll get into Christmas later. Oh, we um, don't see much. <laughs> we don't see much. Harvey, but, like, they run their almost their entire, like, bench every game now just run press do like hockey line changes every media timeout we get a new line in honestly i mean i don't see the downside to just completely changing everything at the very least it'd be fun to watch for the last whatever many games they have left yeah and if you win two games wow you've matched your conference win total you had before <laughs> right. you implemented this new strategy yeah but... i would either do that or call the ca offices and see if we can get uncw on the schedule again <laughs> yeah just two or three more times but <laughs> On a more serious note, kind of a random mid-major kind of kind of talk real quick. Out of, for real, Dayton, San Diego State, and Gonzaga, do you see one of them possibly winning the national championship this year? Because I have yeah. my doubts on one of – I think two of them are real, and I have major doubts on one of those. Yeah, you doubt Gonzaga, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, which I, is yep. a hot take by you. I do think that I would not be surprised this year to see a mid-major win it. You look at – Gonzaga is really good. San Diego State, Dayton. I think there are enough teams that are in that realm. Um, those are probably the three that stand out. Maybe even like a. I don't think BYU is winning the national championship. Oh, but they're they, fun to watch. Oh they're my really good. They're. I watched a game. It was one of my first games on CBS Sportsnet, and it was. I for it was like them and another kind of mid spot um, West Coast team. Are they in the WCC? Yeah, yeah. and it was another one of them and. BYU just shot like 70% from three, and they just were lights out. They're a fun team to watch. And they did get hammered by Gonzaga, I think. But Yeah, they did. They're pretty good, and I think that they have some legitimate NCAA tournament potential. But I think the three you mentioned are probably um, national title contenders. And, yeah, would not be stunned to see a team like Dayton win the whole thing. Yeah. Obi Taupin. Obi Yeah. I can never pronounce his name. Obi Topin. I think it's. Oh, now I'm getting. In or my is head. it? I think. It's, I think it's like Obi Toppin or something. I, yeah, right? I, Obi Toppin. Yeah, I think I just get mixed up because the O's are pronounced differently, but I want to pronounce him the same. So whenever I it's pronounce like his name, Obi Wan Kenobi. He's <laughs> he's must watch TV. That's all. He's um, incredible. So moving in from mid major tournament talk to men's basketball talk. I mean. I think we've kind of hit it every week. What's wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Just a couple mm-hmm. quick things, kind of. You said you had something to say that you wouldn't <laughs> divulge to me beforehand, though. What is this? Yes, this is my take. So I think we all know at this point that JMU is probably going to move on from Lewis Rowe, right? That's what it looks like. And Jack, I think they have five candidates in mind. So I think we want to first look at Rick Patino for obvious reasons. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, because he'd, break, he'd increase – this is going to be too controversial to say. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. it. Okay, well, Shaka Smart <laughs> – you're going to say something about prostitutes. Shaka <laughs> Smart would be the number two choice, of course. Yeah, of course. And money's not an issue. This is about love of the game, right? So I hate when you. coaches look for places, this isn't a job to them. This is a hobby. So Shaka Smart would go to JMU because he loves the CAA. 
He loves Virginia, and he loves Harrison. Oh, I forget. Which he I, technically was a CAA coach. Yeah, coaches <laughs> are in it for the love of the game. That's why they do it. So those are two obvious candidates. And then the next three, I think, are actually legitimate candidates that I would really consider. Number three, Mike Houston, JMU's former football coach. Now, he's coaching football at East Carolina, but you look, and if I'm not mistaken, at one point, I believe he tweeted a picture or a video of him playing basketball with his sons. Um, so he has basketball experience. He knows the region. He can, he's a proven recruiter to JMU. So Mike Houston, number four, Jeff Bourne. He's already the athletic director. What's the downside just making him the head coach? None. There's no downside. Fifth, if we remember Jonathan Alger, the cowboy hat he wore in 2016 to Frisco, and then we look at Harry Potter, and when you look at Harry Potter, the sorting hat is one of the most underrated characters. The sorting hat was so, so, so smart and wise beyond its years. Who's to say the cowboy hat can't be JMU's sorting hat? So I think those are my five candidates. All right, so let's 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 run it back. So number one was Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino. Number yeah. two, Shaka Smart. Number three, Mike Houston. Mm-hmm. Number four, Jeff Bourne. Number five, cowboy hat that may act as sorting hat. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. To me, those are the five. If you don't get one of those, just pack your bags and call it quits because the program's not going anywhere. <laughs> but on the real, the people who think Rick Pitino and Chaka Smart are coming to JMU. One, I don't think you want Rick Pitino. I don't know. Like, he got hookers for his team. Like, what? And then no. Chaka, Chaka made one point, like, Three million at VCU a year, and like they were prepared to offer him like two point five, and then he took Texas, which is giving him like three point eight million or something like that. JMU can't even give him the lowest amount he made before he left VCU. There's no way he's coming here. No, not at all. And I think the JMU Sports Blog was listening to their podcast, um, and they made some really good points where people are talking about like they want these big splash hires, and that's probably not going to happen. And it doesn't matter. Like the idea that Chaka Smart will sell tickets. The new arena is going to sell tickets next season, right? People are going to want to go see the new arena. Yeah. The, what you need to do for future seasons is just have any human being who can lead your team to wins. That doesn't have to be a big name. It doesn't have to be Rick Pitino. No one's going to, like in year two or year three, if JMU stinks and Rick Pitino's there and they're getting hookers, are people going to be like, oh, I'm going to go watch because an old man is on the sideline? No. <laughs> like you need to have a coach that can help you win, whether that's a D3 head coach or it's a prominent assistant or whatever. Whoever you can get that can win you games is really the goal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you could get 20 to 25 wins a season, right, you are golden. Because if you're just competing for the CAA year in and year out, that's how you build the program into what Dayton's become. I mean, Dayton and San Diego State and Gonzaga, but Gonzaga's not really even a mid-major. Like, in basketball, I wouldn't consider them that. Right. Like, your Dayton's of the world, your Rhode Island's of the world, like those mid-majors that have a run in them every few years, but they're always competing for their division or for their conference. That's what JMU should be. You bring in and you bring in a recruit who maybe after three years of development can't help lead your team on some like magical run where they're a four seed or a five seed in the NCAA tournament. That's the end goal. The goal isn't national championships in Harrisonburg. Right. You'd love to be a team that could get to that level. And even, you know, before that, you'd love to become a decent low major or mid-major. I mean, you look at, like, Harvard and Yale have been a lot better the last decade than JMU. More yeah. competitive and 
and that sort of stuff. So you want to find a way to become a more competitive team. And if JMU ends up moving conferences ever and you move into the American athletic or something, then you're talking about a league with multiple bids. Again, that's way down the line if it ever even happens, but you got to find somebody that can win games and then can win a conference tournament. Cause that was the issue with Matt Brady. There yeah. wasn't consistency with 21 seasons and they couldn't get through and win the league. You got to be able to win the colonial athletic association. Yeah. You got to get bids to the tournament and you have to get bids that aren't first four bids. Right. You don't want to be one of those like play in 16 seeds. You want to be a team that legitimately makes it and is like a 12 seed with a chance to make a run. And then like you were saying, a team that can consistently become like a five seed um, for years on end. It's like a top program. I mean, you look even at Gonzaga. Gonzaga took decades to build up to what it is. Yeah. But it was consistent winning under Mark Few. And you need to sort of have a way to win consistently to build into something. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the CAA isn't going to help you in any way. Unless they right. like everyone can become a better basketball program in the CAA, because um, you look at the, at the WCC where Gonzaga is, they have the likes of BYU in there with them. They have St. Mary's. Um, those definitely help. Outside of that, it's pretty trash. Though. Yeah, it is. I was trying to think, but outside of those three programs, there's not really another team that contends. But even if you look at the Mountain West Conference where San Diego State is, San Diego State has a run in them every now and then. But you also have the likes of Colorado State, Utah State. Um, they have a couple other, like, solid programs. But, I mean, yeah, you, you just look around. I think the CAA in and of itself is just a bad conference right? Um, in basketball because there's never, like, a team, um, which kind of help, hurts everything. But, JMU maybe can be that. Like, that's also a part of it. Like, the CAA isn't great. There is no reason that JMU should not be a dominant team within the CAA year in and year out. Right. When you've got a conference that's as bad as the CAA is, for lack of a better term, you've got to be able to compete for it. And they're, they're at the very bottom alone. So yeah. that's – yeah, it's going to take some, some building to get out of it. But I think when people – we've talked about this before, but when people are like, we got to get a splash higher. Like, no, you just – you literally need anyone who can win. Yeah, you don't need a splash higher. You need a winning – like program right because also who who's to say that shaka smart comes in and is that splash hire and wins games he who's would to say i would i would say <laughs> if we who got is... shaka smart it would be nuts i just both of us think it's like well outside of any potential pay range yeah i think we both would love that hire but we both know it's not possible with the history of payments for coaches with jmu right. Right, but I mean, you look at like I don't think anybody really knew who Mike Houston was when they hired him for football, and he came. Oh no, they didn't. And now and, did, he, and then he was a god for three years in Harrisonburg. Right. So I think you can have sort of that similar thing where you can find someone who's been at a lower level. You look at Mike Jones at Radford, who's your favorite, and I think that <laughs> no, but you just hire anyone, whether it's yeah. an assistant or a guy who's won at a lower level, whether it's D two, D three, or or even a lower major than the CA, which is damn hard to find. Um, and then you you find someone that is able to win some games. So I think for this year, it's it's kind of been a struggle. But let's get into some of the actual playing stuff. I know you mentioned the Michael Christmas th- thing and the heartbreaker at, at Delaware. It's kind of weird for a team to be like, I think we're all, we understand the fate of this team. Like they're probably going to struggle down the stretch. It's not going to turn around. And then they're going to move on from Lewis Rowe. That seems like yeah. sort of an agreed upon conclusion. But there's still like things that are going on that are incredibly frustrating. Like the Delaware game, they had a legitimate chance to win, threw it away. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's wild that. that Delaware, my CAA champion yes. uh, pick, struggled that much against JMU, but they pulled out the win. You know, winners find a way to win. That's all I'm That's six in a row, isn't it? I think so. They're darn good. Crazy. And they hired an assistant from Notre Dame who was available when JMU hired Lewis Rowe. So shows a little bit about um, <laughs> just hiring <laughs> I mean, search. Way to throw yeah. out the JMU. Well, I'm just saying that they could have had the Delaware – coach but instead they chose row so i'm i'm just saying i am just <laughs> saying no i've said it before that but i mean like you don't need he was not a splashy hire at delaware he was just a long time notre dame assistant that yeah is now winning games so you can get an assistant like that and, and turn out to be fine so um yeah it's it's interesting and confusing and i don't i don't think anyone was that upset about losing to delaware even the way it happened it's like yeah we've seen this story before but then you start to look at some of this stuff and the Christmas stuff is really interesting because yeah. he's one of the only recruits from my time following the program that I had any interest in. Most of the time I get to November, I'm like, who are the new recruits? Like who did they bring in? Um, but he was someone that I think a lot of people were looking forward to for a year or so. He's a three-star kid from Virginia. I think like the um, Virginia beach area. Yeah. And he was, really, yeah. In high school, he was throwing down those wild dumps. Yeah. It was just like, amazingly athletic in high school and everyone was like he's the next star he's the savior of jmu right he's the next matt lewis or something and you (laughs) you look at what they've (laughs) been able to do with him he started off really strong and i think a lot of people were excited because he was shooting like 40 plus percent from three he was getting to the rim he had a 16 rebound game against powerhouse shenandoah he had 13 boards against Coppin State despite not scoring. So he showed the ability to rebound. He's had some games with a lot of steals. He's blocked shots. He's done some stuff that's been impressive, and I think people were excited. And now, where is he? Yeah, and he started the season starting every single game. Mm -hmm. He started the first four games in conference play, um, and then he kind of got pushed out of the starting lineup. And this is where it gets weird. Then after that, he was kind of a go-to sixth man, you could say. 19 minutes, 20, 13, 19, 13 minutes, which isn't a lot of minutes for someone that was a starter and kind of had it. But, I mean, they were starting to experiment with more things. Things weren't going right. I can see that. But then February came, and January 30th against College of Charleston, we all remember the game, um, Grant Riller decides to have himself a career day, but what's new when he faces JMU? Um, but he only he only had eight minutes in that game. And then the month of February, three games so far, nine minutes, 18 minutes, three minutes. He combined the last three for 30 minutes after getting multiple games this season with 30 minutes yeah. for an entire game. Yeah. Right? It doesn't – it's just so hard to understand why – and I don't know if they have data or something that says that like they're they're more effective with like well, jo- Julian Wooden or someone. Wooden's played pretty well too as a yeah. freshman. I've been impressed with him. Yeah, and but I mean, you've said it. If they're going off of the statistics of like of like analytics and usage rate and efficiency ratings, then they shouldn't be playing Matt Lewis the number of minutes they're playing Matt Lewis and giving him the number of shots that he gets. Right? Yeah, I mean, and Christmas has scored in double digits. Six times, five times, five times, excuse me. But like, he's a scorer. Yeah. And he's one of the better shot blockers they have when he's in. He's the team's leading three point shooter in terms of percentage. He's a really good rebounder, both offensively and defensively. 
he's good. Like he's a good player. And even if he's not, I think someone tweeted at us and they showed like the record with him and without him. They're worse without him in terms of wins and losses. And if you're losing pretty much every game, why in the world would you not try to play and develop your star freshman recruit? Yeah, and he was like – and when he was starting, he was putting up solid numbers right. and everything. And now since he's kind of hit the bench, you look at his numbers and his best shooting performance was against Drexel when he had um, – he played for 20 minutes. He was three for four from the field. All of them were three-pointers, and that was his best game since he's been knocked down to, like, bench. Yeah, like fewer than 20 minutes every game. And it's, it's confusing. It doesn't make sense. And I remember watching one game. I can't remember exactly which one it was. Uh, but they were playing, and they did some sort of defensive stand. And he came out really quickly after he entered, and he kind of looked at Roe like, like, why me? Like, why am I coming out? And he gave him, like, a little pat on the back. It was like, it's all right. Like, just, you know. It just didn't make sense. And, like, even Christmas notices, like, what are you doing? Like, I, I came here as a prize recruit. I know they're upperclassmen and stuff. But Julian Wooden's getting big-time playing time. Zach Jacobs is getting a lot of playing time. And there's nothing wrong with playing those two guys. But when you play Zach Jacobs for 25 minutes against Delaware, I believe Julian Wooden got 28 against Delaware. And you give Michael Christmas three? I don't know. I, I can't really follow that logic. No, I, and you're right. He's Christmas is sixth on the team in minutes per game but I mean a lot of those minutes right. have come we're, we're at the beginning of the season and now you have Julian Wooden and Javis Harvey who are getting a lot of play time now and even Quinn Ritchie who are getting a lot more play time as of late kind of moving up and I think Christmas can soon drop to maybe the seventh or eighth in terms of minutes per game um, it is weird because he is such a prized recruit he showed flashes and he showed potential and now Zach Jacobs has kind of usurped him in the starting lineup. And I don't know if I fully agree with that. I, th- I think you can, you can keep Michael Christmas going. It's a lost season. Maybe get flashes out of the freshman, get, get his confidence up. And I, I know that's what the, uh, the tweet that was directed towards us kind of said. And, and I kind of fully agree with what that tweet was saying. You might lose him out now, lose him this season to a transfer possibly. Don't be surprised if you see his name enter the transfer portal. Right. I mean, you look at a potential coaching switch. I, I don't know if you mentioned it for someone else. Could actually benefit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I texted you that because, yeah, he sees what Roe's doing and Roe clearly doesn't – I don't want to say doesn't appreciate him. And we also don't know what's happening, like, in practices and, and things like that or, sure. like, all of that. But at the same time, like, I also think this is a question that needs to be asked of Roe. Why is Christmas getting less and less playtime? Um, right. It's, it's with a season that has almost no storylines at this point, other than like things are going to the can, you would kind of wonder what's going on. And I think Quinn Ritchie's actually had more ga- minutes, like you were saying, 10 more minutes combined in the last three games than Michael Christmas. And I think Ritchie getting some playing time is awesome trying to develop a freshman, but, but like <laughs> you develop be- your three-star freshman. Too. Exactly. You've got a stud that's a good wing player and has a chance, in my opinion, to develop into an all CAA player for multiple seasons wouldn't you do that i mean it's just confusing to me and you look at like even a guy and i love darius banks i think he's a really talented player he's been struggling a lot especially offensively the last few games he's been really bad he really has yeah i think he's what is he's two for 17 on his last 17 three-point attempts in the last three games like he's struggling 
but he doesn't lose any minutes. So that doesn't make sense when Christmas plays well offensively, does some good things defensively, can rebound block shots, and then you don't play him. Yeah, and I remember last season I was kind of the advocate of go small and try to, like, switch things up. Maybe right. go big now. Like, you have the, the pieces, put Dwight in at center. You could throw Christmas in at Darius's three spot, move Deshaun out of the starting lineup, put Matt at the one. Or even put Christmas at the two and Matt at the one. And then you have Jacobs, who, as much as I'm not the biggest fan of him, of his play style, he can hit, he's a good offensive weapon, can hit threes, can kind of stretch the four like that. Put him at the right. three. Um, I've lost who would go at the four. Maybe hard. You can toss in Wooden if you want. Yeah, I mean, you can mix it up, try to go big. Even almost. Banks or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of different things. And it seems like now they've just kind of hit this stagnant, like, this is our starting five. We're not doing anything different. We switch it up four games into conference play, and this is what we're riding out. It's just so confusing. It just does. I don't know. I'm having such a hard time understanding why they would. Yeah, and I just want to know make, why. Make the moves, and hopefully someone will end up asking. But I mean, they just they don't have anything going, and then they make decisions like that that could cost you a really talented kid from Virginia. Um, and obviously we're speculating there. We don't know if he'll actually transfer or anything. But you look at the confidence going down and the talent he has, other programs. If if teams were coming after Matt Lewis in the offseason, why would teams not come after guys like Michael Christmas and, and really all these players? So I don't know. It's yeah. it's disappointing. It doesn't make sense. And it's just, it's crazy to have a team that just keeps losing and they're not even like – I mean, to just have a situation like this where it seems like they're blowing an opportunity to develop a star. It's like, what is going on? Yeah, I mean – he was recruited heavily by a lot of big name schools. What's stopping them from kind of right. saying, Hey, you're not getting PT there. I can't Morgan offered him a scholarship. Yeah. It's like, I can't guarantee you're going to get PT if you come and play with us, but I can guarantee you one thing, better coaching. It's just better opportunities. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens there, but that is purely speculation. Everything we just kind of mentioned transfer wise is just sad to see that like this kind of happen in this season where there was hope going into conference play, have it all just completely evaporated. Now we're just kind of counting the seconds until we can get out of CAA play when it comes to men's basketball. Yeah, it's frustrating because it is at this point, it's literally a countdown until the season ends and they make a move. Yeah. Like that's, that's what's so disappointing. And, and you look at the Delaware game was a potential glimmer of hope with a nice little win over a surging Delaware team. And you get two out of three games could have been wins. And you're like, oh, and then you're coming home for three. You wonder if maybe you could become, you know, not the worst team in the conference and maybe win like a conference tournament game. But at this point it's, it's so hard to have any hope and it's disappointing because it's a program that you want to win games. And it's a program that needs to win games. If you're really, if you're really being honest and if you're really talking about moving up another conference as great as football is and how great it would be to see them in the AAC. um, It's a pipe dream if, if basketball and, and honestly we'll talk about baseball later with our baseball contributor, Nick Stevens later on, but, it's a pipe dream to think that we can move up to another conference if basketball and baseball are performing poorly, but women's basketball though, they're not performing poorly. Yeah. Picked up a nice win over Towson who they lost to earlier in the year. They ended up winning by 42, 81 to 39 in that one. So that's a good thing to see because they just lost by 22 to Drexel the week prior. They obviously have the loss earlier in the season to Towson in a game they should have won. It's good. It's good to see this. I still have some concerns about the team and feel like there's a little bit of pressure on them to actually get through and win the conference tournament. 
But it's hard not to be happy with what Sean O'Regan's done since taking over the helm. What are the problems you see with this team? Oh, it's just like, for me, it's mostly offensive inconsistency is that they'll have games where, like, they scored 48 against Drexel. They were slow to start against Towson. Um, They've had some of those times where they just can't really score and get things done. The Virginia loss. And then the Maryland game. The Maryland game, they had that thing under wraps, and then they turned the ball over a ton, couldn't score, and gave up a lot of points late in the game and ended up losing. So for me, it's sort of consistency, especially on the offensive end. And then energy. Like, when they're motivated and focused, they tend to – roll through teams. I think there are some times where they are sort of asleep at the wheel and not paying a ton of attention. So if they can lock in for the conference tournament, I think they're the favorite, even with what Trexel's done this season, but it's remains to be seen if they're able to really do that. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. What about you? What are your thoughts on this team? And it's a team that I think doesn't necessarily get the coverage it deserves. Um, I don't think there's a ton just reading like the, the local stuff, there's not a ton of women's basketball coverage. Yeah, um, And it, I wish they got a little more just because it's a team that was really close with a couple of results that could have went the other way to being like a top 25, top you know 20 team. Yeah, and I said it last week, and I think I say it every week on the podcast, this, this is a season of what ifs. What yeah. if they didn't? What if they didn't? What if they did? And the, I think if you're sitting here with a win over Maryland and a perfect non-con schedule – and maybe a loss here, maybe one loss in CA play. They're a top 25 receiving votes type of team. Um, but instead, they've dropped some heartbreakers. Things haven't really gone their way. And like you said, their offensive woes at times do really bother me. But I, I just don't see them kind of losing a game in CAA conference in the tournament. Um, I think it's shaping up to be them and Drexel in the final game, in the, in the championship. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see how it plays out. I think if they see Drexel for a third time in a season, their experience, Coach O's experience, they'll be ready to take them, um, kind of regardless. If, say, if Drexel sweeps the season series, I still have complete faith that they can beat Drexel in a championship game. Of course, they have to be locked in, like you said, because their offensive woes can get real ugly sometimes. Yeah, and something that stood out to me in the Towson game that we talked about uh, last week, going back to that podcast, um, we talked about like Jackie Benitez and her shot volume. She was only three for ten against Towson, so she didn't have her best game for sure. Uh, but she did end up scoring ten points. But Kamaya Smalls took twenty shots. That's what I like to see, and twenty four points. Yep, ten for twenty, three for five from three. Look, if Jackie Benitez shoots ten times, I don't really have an issue with that because she's one of the best shooters on the team. But if you can get it where Kamaya shoots 20, you've got Kiki Jefferson at 8, Lexi at 7. So the disparity between Jackie and some of the other, um, you know, second, third, fourth scoring options isn't massive. And Kamaya Smalls is very clearly the number one option. But I feel pretty good about the offense. Yeah, I do too. And, and if you look at some of the other things along it, they had, what, five people in double figures? Right. Like, that's a big one. And if you also look at it, Tucker Rain, I think, had 24 minutes um, and 10 points. Against Drexel, she had 19 minutes, still a good number of minutes, but didn't take a single shot from the field and only finished with two points with her two free throws. So seeing her kind of get involved in the offense with eight shots, making five of them, getting nine boards, almost having her, I believe that'd be her first double-double, um, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime you get production from other players, it's – massive and that would have been close to three players they had 
Um, Kamai Smalls did get a double-double, and then Lexi Barrier was close, three points shy. Uh, Kiki was close. I mean, there's a lot of players who were close to getting double-doubles, six blocks from Kayla Cooper-Williams. Like, it was a good team performance, yeah. and they sort of did everything they needed to do the way they needed to do it. And Tucker Rain is – or Rain Tucker, sorry, is very <laughs> – Did I say Tucker Rain, too? I don't know. I got it all confused. I was looking at the thing the wrong way. But Rain Tucker is a very good young player yeah. that we haven't talked about much or at all. Yeah, barely anything. And, um, yeah, for a freshman, I love the freshman class that they have. I think there are a lot of talented youngsters. Yeah, this team continues to recruit well, recruit great players, and recruits to fit the culture. And it, mm-hmm. it's going to be a fun couple. That's going to be – women's basketball is always fun every year. They're always going to compete for a CA title. It, it, the end of the season, I think, is shaping up to be a really – really good end of the season. And I just can't wait for the women's CAA tournament. That's, that's what I'm really looking forward to at the end of the season. Me too. Me too. And I think you look at women's basketball just to go super broad. Uh, UConn sort of, I wouldn't say slipped, but they've slipped a little bit compared to where they used to be. They got blown out last night. Oregon's blown them out. So they've lost some games. And I think that women's basketball might take a little bit longer, but I think it's getting to a point now where there is more media coverage. There is more attention, um, rightfully so. And it's good to see. And I think that, that could eventually lead to what we're seeing in men's and it's going to take longer to get to that exact area, but where there are more mid majors making noise and doing things in the tournament. And it's not only going to be four or five teams. I think it's going to get to a point here in the next decade or so where a team like JMU can legitimately make deep runs in the tournament. And to me, that's really exciting. Yeah. It's going to be a fun future, very broad strokes for women's basketball. Okay. I can't wait. Now, we leave the Convocation Center on East Campus, and we head on over to Memorial Hall, Veterans Memorial Park. We welcome in our baseball contributor, Nick Stevens, um, to talk some baseball and really just break it down for us. So we now welcome in Nick Stevens, our baseball contributor. He knows more about baseball than I think Jack and I do combined. So he is a good person to have, and he's been following Jamie for quite a while. So Nick, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing over there? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You're also a new dad. Is that right? I am. Little baby boy. He's just over four months old now. So uh, I'm not sleeping a lot, but hey, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Have you taken the son to any, uh, any JMU events yet? Actually, uh, let's see. He's been to every women's basketball game except for one. Um, a couple men's games, but, you know, I kind of leave him at home for those. Because, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, actually, he was about a month or so old, uh, about two months old when JMU had their uh, fall World Series in baseball. Mm-hmm. And we took him to the game and uh, Coach Eikenberry gave us a VIP experience up in the press box. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Kids already paying off. <laughs> That's awesome. I imagine that was a chilly one. I'm sure the press box was nice. It was nice and warm. There was some stale chips. So it was all good. <laughs> the dream. That's awesome. So I've seen everyone should give Nick a follow on Twitter at Nick Stevens, S T E V E N S R on Twitter. Has a lot of stuff there. Uh, some Orioles content, but then a lot of JMU content mixed in as well. And I've I've seen that you've been sort of looking through some film, looking through some different articles and stuff. So ahead of the JMU baseball season, which starts here very soon, what have you seen about the Dukes? What do you like about the Dukes in 2020? 
Oh, man, I think there's a lot to like about this team. Um, I know last year with this pitching staff, that was kind of like the highlight of the team. Uh, you saw four guys get drafted by major league teams last year, which I don't know how many other teams in the country can say they had mm-hmm. four pitchers get drafted. Um, but with a lot of those being underclassmen, you know, I think there's a lot of questions around the pitching staff this season. Um, but with what the coaching staff is doing behind the scenes with, you know, these high-speed cameras and Rapsodo machines and all the new fancy technology in baseball, I mean, I think the pitching staff's going to be definitely fun to watch again this year. Um, the lineup out on the field is going to be a lot more veterans this year. A lot of injuries last season kind of knocked this team out of contention late in the year around the CAA tournament, but a lot of healthy kids coming back. Everybody's a year older, and I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I'm excited for this too. Yeah, no, it seems like it's going to be an exciting team with a lot of nice pieces. And when you look at the lineup, what do you really like about this lineup? I know Trey Dabney is one that sort of stands out. Uh, Josh Jones comes back after last year. I think there's focusing on academics is the way that um, the program is wording it. So they've got a lot of different different pieces. And then, of course, you have Fox, who I think you tweeted this the other day. feels like he's been here for like a decade. <laughs> But it really what do you, does. What do you like about the lineup that seems to have just a ridiculous amount of experience and talented infielders too? Yeah, I think this year, um, Josh Jones coming back obviously is huge. You got Nick Zona coming back this year, mm-hmm. which is huge. Um, I think the defense is going to be really tough uh, to get through this year. Um, last year, you saw with when Nick Zona went down. I know Fox Simone was out in the outfield. He had to come into the infield. So you had a lot of true freshmen out in the outfield um, that kind of had to learn on the fly and who, in my opinion, weren't ready to be out there in the field full time. Um, but this year, yeah, you've got with guys like Kyle Novak in the lineup. I think he's a name that didn't get a lot of attention last year, but I mean, he finished like second on the team in batting average. The guy does not strike out. Um, or he struck out 18 times in 188 at-bats last season. Oh. Um, he's a good one to watch. I think you got a lot of the bench is going to be deeper this year. Um, one name I really like is Connor Hardigan. Mm-hmm. I think he had Tommy John surgery um, his freshman year. Um, I think that's what it was. Uh, it's really hard to find information about like baseball <laughs> and stuff. Um, I didn't know about the Josh Jones like grade stuff till like last week uh, on the news, but right. Um, Connor Hardigan's really special. I think he was one of the top JUCO recruits in the country when he came to JMU. Um, but he's got a big bat. He's got a huge arm out there in right field. So if he's healthy, um, that adds a whole other dimension to this lineup. But it's deep. Um, yeah, when you got guys like Fox Simones who can play every position, um, Trey Dabney who apparently can play most positions now out in the field. Right? <laughs> a lot of speed. It'll be a lot of fun to watch out there. That's awesome. Yeah. And I know when I was looking through the roster a little bit and reading some of your tweets and stuff like that, some of the videos out there, I was excited about the lineup, excited about the returning talent. And you mentioned some of the questions on the pitching staff, of course, when you have that many guys get drafted uh, to the professional level. So they were picked to finish sixth out of the nine teams in the CAA. Do you think that's right? I know with the excitement around the team, it seemed like they might have been picked higher. Is that a, a matter of the conference being really good? Or do you think the Dukes are a little bit underrated? Uh, I think they're a little underrated. Um, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with just how 
the pitchers being drafted. You lost four guys to the draft, plus Matt Marcilli, um <laughs> went independent ball route. So that's five guys you got to replace on the pitching side of things. Um, you know, there were a lot of questions with those guys that were injured. There's still questions around how they can perform in a full season of play. Um, but when you look at, like, UNCW, I think it's the cream of the crop this year. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch. A lot of guys that got drafted but are coming back for their senior seasons and junior seasons. Um, Elon lost probably the most talent in the league. It's still Elon, and they're still going to be a tough team to beat, but Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of questions with that team. now. A lot of holes to fill there. William and Mary lost most of their offense um, and their top pitcher. Um, So I know a lot of publications had them projected ahead of JMU, which that's kind of hard to see, but I think this team could do a lot better than six just because – they're bigger. A lot of those teams at the top of the order, um, top of the division, have a lot bigger questions than JMU has. Interesting. Okay. And then I know, uh, I think you tweeted a clip of like the Baseball America preview of JMU a little bit, and they mentioned um, some of the talent there. And, and you talked about Kyle Hayes and what he can do behind the plate for JMU fans who maybe haven't watched a, a ton of baseball. What are some of the players, maybe like Kyle Hayes, that are under the radar that they should keep an eye on this season? Uh, let's see, Kyle Hayes is definitely the big one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you look at his numbers and you don't see a lot, you know, it's like a 200 something batting average, you know, not a lot of home runs, RBIs, or anything like that. Um, but what he does behind the plate, the stuff that doesn't show up, show up on the stat sheet, really affects the game. Um, my guy that I, I beat the drum for since his freshman year, Devon Griffin, mm-hmm. um, the bat never came around, but he's a senior and he's another one of those guys that. Not many balls are going to get past him in center field. Uh, he's a really good situational hitter. He can bunt for a hit on command. Um, when he does get on base, he's going to disrupt the pitcher's time, and he's going to make uh, catchers go crazy behind the plate uh, with how fast he is. Um, so he's a guy that I really like a lot. Uh, Pitching-wise, um, I think a guy that doesn't get enough attention because he had Nick Robinson and Shelton Perkins in the bullpen, but Brett Ayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to be the team's closer this year. I think baseball, the Baseball America uh, piece referenced that, but yeah, I think he's nominated already for like the reliever of the year, whatever college baseball calls that. Um, watch list. The kid's broken so many JMU records already. I think he had 52 strikeouts last year in 35 innings. Yeah, he doesn't give up a lot. Um, he's going to be a good one to watch. And then I think a, a guy that's getting a lot of hype before the season is uh, Anthony Piccolino mm-hmm. uh, is a name I think to watch. Um, I know there's somebody wrote an article about him, his summer ball team that he's going to be playing with, did an article about him. and um, He was played a lot outfield his freshman year, had arm injuries, but I think he's back on the mound. He could be a guy that probably starts like some of those midweek games. Um Guy with a big arm, um, doesn't give up a lot of runs, strikes a lot of guys out, which is kind of the mantra of this team. So I think that's another one under the radar guy to keep an eye on. Awesome. Good to hear that there are some names under the radar too, as well as some of the the stars. And when you look at this schedule, the pieces on this team, what do you think are realistic expectations for JMU both out of conference and in conference? Is this a team that can, you know, win 30, 35, 40 games? And, or do you think that um, – Maybe they'll take a step back. What do you see from them this year? Uh, let's see. Last year, 
how many games did they win last year? Let me pull that up. Um, so they were 31 and 26 last year, 11 and 13 in the conference. Um, I'm actually just finished up a piece that I'm going to send over to you guys. That'll be up on the website. Yes. Um, kind of like some things to look out for, about five big things I'm looking out for. And one of those was the schedule. I think four of the five teams projected to finish ahead of JMU all come to Harrisonburg this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interesting uh, piece to the 2020 schedule. Um, they open up this weekend against NC State, who's one of the top teams in the country. And that's obviously going to be a tough test. But after that, you got schools like Quinnipiac, Ryder, High Point, Niagara, Norfolk State. Um, I think they should well exceed 30 wins. I think Eikenberry, the winning percentage under Marlon Eikenberry has gone up every single year since he's been here. Mm-hmm. And I expect that to continue. Awesome. That is good to hear for JMU fans. And do you think that uh, – what do you think about Eikenberry and what he's doing? And I know that Jimmy Jackson's had a lot of success, I believe, um, as the pitching coach. And I think they just they just promote him. Is that right? Yeah, I think associate head coach I saw. Yeah. So what do you like – I mean, what do you feel like this staff has done the last few years? And are you feeling optimistic as someone that knows Jamie baseball probably better than anyone else out there? Um, what, do you, what do you feel like about this team? I think, I mean, it's this is going to be a tough year because it's year five with this coaching staff. So right. they need to perform. They need to not just make the CA tournament, but they need to be like in the conversation to win this thing. It's been mm-hmm. 2011, I think, was the last time they went to the NCAA regionals. Um, the stuff they do behind the scenes, I think they Marlon Eikenberry has finally recruited his team. Um, that can kind of play the quirks of Veterans Memorial Park. It's a fast field. Um, so I think he's got his team in place now that can be successful. And what Jimmy Jackson has done with this pitching staff, you know, I think he is a fantastic follow on Twitter and his kind of behind the scenes looks, you know, with like the Rapsodo machines that give you just all this valuable information on pitches. Um, and I think his ability to communicate with those pitchers and get them to buy in is the biggest part of all of this. I mean, I had, I have people like five or six people like message me on Twitter. Like, who is this kid, this Jamie pitcher? Like, why, or why are we hearing about all these Jamie pitchers? And it's because like Jimmy Jackson, what he's doing behind the scenes and this whole coaching staff. So pieces are there. It's can they win now? Right. Right. It sounds a little bit um, less extreme, of course, but like men's basketball, where you've got some of the talent there and, it's a program that I think JMU fans crave a winning program. If they can get there consistently, I think the fans will flock and, and all that stuff. So it's, it's exciting to see it, it coming. And then you look at the um, obviously different than a new arena or anything like that, but they gave a, the field a little upgrade. Have you had a chance to drive by and look at the new, new turf and how's it looking? No, I haven't driven by yet. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, I work right down the street from it. So, um, <laughs> right. I mean, I'll be out there opening day. Uh, was it next Friday? I think or Friday after next. But mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's awesome um, what they're doing there. Um, you know, the games are free too. Like, come on out and support these guys. Watch this. I mean, you had four guys who are now pitching in professional baseball now, so you're seeing good talent. Um, they're upgrading the field. I mean, it's it's going to be a good atmosphere. I hope it's going to be a good atmosphere this year. Last year, a lot of those big games, I feel like the only big crowds like when UVA comes into town. And right. Those, those are, you know, when it's, you know, 
10 to one in the third inning, you know, a lot of people, it's, and that's the only <laughs> baseball game you're going to that year. It makes it tough, but um, no, I hope that people start showing up a little bit more this year. And as someone that lives in Harrisonburg and, and goes to a bunch of games and what is the atmosphere like at, at JMU baseball games, sort of at the beginning, maybe in the cold months, <laughs> but then also as it gets sort of into the summer, is that an atmosphere that you think it, you would like to see improve or one that, that maybe I guess just comes with winning? What are your thoughts on that? I know the, the basketball atmosphere this year for men's basketball has certainly taken a, a dip the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it's in the beginning of the year when there's snow on the ground and it's 30 degrees by the third inning. Um, you know, typically it's me, maybe a couple like girlfriends and of players. <laughs> and the parents. Um, that's about it in the stands. But, you know, as it warms up, uh, more people start to come out. You start to see more students come out, um, mm-hmm. especially students who like have friends on the team and they bring their friends Um and it gets a little more exciting. Uh, I know the players do a really good job of kind of getting hyped on the field. You kind of feel, feel that energy a little bit. But, yeah, I think it's just the winning. The team needs to start winning more, getting their name out there more. I think more coverage of the team, you know, with social media and right. just access to this team would benefit. But like you said, this I mean, this is a baseball town. I mean, major leaguers from all the local high schools around here that's one thing that I'm excited other than JMU. Like it's hard to find a high school program around the Valley that doesn't have a D one prospect on their team this year. So if JMU can start winning and putting that together and they're recruiting those local kids, I think that will help bring out bigger crowds. And I'm always a, a pipe dream guy. So I'm always talking to Jack about, you know, men's basketball down the road, making the sweet 16 or some crazy run. Obviously that, that feels, you know, worlds away right now. And, uh, we always talk about football and what they're able to do in FBS upsets and things like that. And the women's basketball team making March Madness for you, somebody that really follows this baseball program. What is, I guess, within reason, sort of your pipe dream for maybe the next five or 10 years for Jamie baseball? I mean, this is a team that can win the CAA. Um, mm-hmm. They're recruiting better athletes, overall athletes. Um, they're recruiting guys that aren't, still like one dimensional anymore. Like you saw kind of before Mara and I can uh, and some of those kids that stuck around in the early stages of the I can era. Um, these guys can play multiple positions. Uh, they can do a lot of different things on the field. And so I'm hoping that more of those top prospects start recruiting the JMU. Um, I think, I mean, the CAA is winnable. Just like, it's just like men's basketball. I mean, it's, all it takes is a few more pieces, and this team is competing for the CAA title every single year. Um, you know, once you get into NCAA regionals, it's tough because you have to have so many pitchers. But when pitching right. is this team's strength, and they're so deep at pitching for the last couple of years, and if that can continue, I mean, anyone who watches college baseball and those NCAA regionals that opening weekend, anything can happen. And I think if, if they can just get into that tournament, who knows? I mean, I would love to go to Omaha with this team. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, no, I was watching the ACC Network documentary on Virginia yesterday where they sort of snuck in in 2015 and then, or at least were nervous about getting in, and then they went on to win the whole thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy whenever you're in any of these postseason tournaments in, in college sports, it seems like anything can happen. And you mentioned the recruiting and how important that is. And just scrolling through the roster, it seems like they have a bunch of 
freshman this year from Virginia. Did anybody stand out when you were looking at, at the new guys that sort of jumped out to you? Or is that still something that maybe we should ask you in two weeks here when you had a chance to actually see him play? Um, I mean, probably better in a few weeks, but mm-hmm. I mean, you have the, the fall world series, purple and gold world series, whatever they want to call it. Right. Now. Um, there's really no, they don't really give you any information when you go to watch those games. <laughs> they just have to, like, okay. Like who's that? I have no idea who that pitcher is. And you just kind of have to wait and see, like as his teammates yell at him, like, all right, what's that name? And then you have to like search the depths of Facebook to find out who these guys are. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it is really hard when you go to those yeah i've experienced that with virginia a little bit too it can be a challenge be like who is who's number seven i know i mean and looking at the roster myself right now there are some freshmen that i i did not know were on the, the roster during the right. Fall world series but um yeah i got like mason dunaway he's a chesapeake kid um i saw a lot of clips of him in his senior year of high school, he's a big bat guy. A guy that plays the infield. I think he catches some. I'm not sure on that one, but mm-hmm. um, Mason Dunaway, I think is a name to watch. Uh, I liked him a lot in the far world series. Noah Cornwell's Henrico guy. Uh, he played, he's six, two freshman first baseman. Um, he played in, up here in the Rockingham County baseball league over the summer, actually. So I got a, he played a, a couple of games. So I got a few looks at him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it was – and there's a pitcher, Andrew Waite. I think he pitched a couple innings. He's a Midlothian guy. Um, yeah, lots of Virginia names. Um, we'll see how they do. I know next year they've got two guys coming from Riverheads High School in Stanton, and that's where I taught before I left and started my new job. Yeah. Uh, that's cool to see. But, you know, we'll see what the freshmen do in, uh, in a game a couple of weeks, see if they hit the field. Kasha, we will certainly come back to you. I have my eye on Eric Volpe, a 6'5", 245-pounder from yeah. uh, from New York. I don't know how much he'll play or if he's a walk or anything like that, but he's listed. They list him just as infield, so part of me hopes – I'm assuming that would be like first base, but part of me really hopes that he's like a 6'5", 245-pound second baseman. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my dream. I think it's unreasonable, but <laughs> we'll see what happens there. No, it's exciting to see this team – doing well and got some good things obviously softball is coming up as well and you had a chance i think to watch women's lacrosse or do you have any other spring sports stuff you're looking forward to as somebody that frequents jmu sporting events um yeah the lacrosse was fun i haven't been to that in a couple of years mm-hmm. um i mean the result obviously wasn't what I think right. a lot of people wanted i was actually more impressed with unc fans and the way they travel for women's lacrosse it was <laughs> Super impressive, uh, matching jackets. Uh, laminated, oh wow! <laughs> laminated roster cards in their pockets. Uh, it was uh, quite the sight. Um, That's insane. But yeah, I'm excited for softball. Like I think most people at JMU are. Um, I know Megan Good's gone, and uh, I know Kirsten Roadcraft is now gone. But that team is still. You know, you still got Odyssey Alexander on the team. You still got uh, Kate Gordon on the team. So. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Be flipping through uh, baseball and softball this weekend. Yeah, no, it's awesome that they're they're both starting up. It's going to be exciting and huge first weekends for both. With you mentioned the NC State series for the baseball team and the softball team will be in Florida competing against a bunch of Power Five squads. So that'll be fun to watch. A lot to keep track of. I think as JMU fans, we're excited about women's basketball, and we are very much excited to have a few other sports here in the fray that make us pretend that we don't have a men's basketball team 
So <laughs> things are going well there. But thank you, Nick, for joining us. We're pumped to get your content on the website this week, and we will be sure to share your stuff on Twitter and all that stuff. And everybody give Nick a follow on Twitter because he is our baseball expert and knows a whole lot more than we do. So thank you for joining us, Nick. Thank you guys for having me. Great to hear from Nick Stevens, our baseball contributor. He reached out to us last year. He'd been running a blog on his own about the baseball team. And it was awesome to add him to the team and get some baseball coverage. So I know Jack and I are certainly in tune with the spring sports, but maybe a little more so with softball. Yeah. I, I, I think this season I might be a little bit more in tune with baseball just so we can kind of spread our, yeah, spread our <laughs> coverage. And also last year I got really into baseball and working with the Valley league. What mm-hmm. two summers ago now? Right. Um, it really opened my eyes to collegiate baseball and I'm really excited to kind of see what, the Diamond Dukes do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've, I kind of have high hopes. I have mixed hopes for the baseball team this season. Their pitching staff, a couple of questions for me. They had a couple named to all CAA, uh, like Nick said. But um, I, I have a couple couple hesitations there. But I think their offensive lineup, I think with Dabney, it's going to be out of this world. I'm excited to see how both of the Diamond Dukes do. What are your expectations, though, for softball? The bigger yellow ball. What do you expect out of that team? <laughs> Very good analysis. I, <laughs> I'm excited for this team. I think there's a ton of potential. Um, they've got a good, strong non-conference schedule, which is massive because obviously we've seen what the NCAA selection committee thinks about CAA. the conference schedule. Yeah, so we've seen a little bit of that, but they've got – sort of some mid stuff in the season mixed in with Virginia Tech. They got a random Radford one in there. But early on, they play good teams. I think that'll be absolutely huge to sort of see what this team is, what this team can do. You look at a tournament uh, where they play Georgia twice. They'll start opening the year with some stuff on ESPN3. You can stream Texas Tech, Kansas, Missouri, South Carolina. Um, then they work in a midweek next week at Chapel Hill. So it's going to be interesting what they do. But I love the lineup. They return a lot. Uh, road cap will not be with the team. That was announced a little bit. We talked about that briefly. Megan Good obviously graduated. That's a very Wait, big what? blow. Yeah, that's that's huge <laughs> news that not enough people are, are talking about. Megan Good's finally gone. It's going to be tough because she was she was special, man. She was there for a while with the injury, just kept her around. Five years. She was good. She was good. But I love the lineup. I think that this year's lineup, they have a lot of speed at the top with like Cambry Arnold. But they've also got Odyssey Alexander. They've got Hannah File. They've Bozeman Gordon. They've got Bozeman that they've added. So I think the power mixed with a little bit of speed, good fielders. Odyssey Alexander is going to be the ace for the team, and you hope you can find a number two. Peyton Burris transferred out, so you hope that either it's Kayla Bozeman or or uh, Alexis Bermudez or or potentially Isabel Kelly. Yeah, uh, in that number two spot. So they do need a number two starter. If they don't get a number two starter, it makes it really close to impossible to make a deep NCAA tournament run. But I still think this team is special. And you look at last year, what they did with Megan Good as the one, one pitcher for the most part, they still made it to the super regionals. So there's a lot of potential with this team and I'm pretty excited because I think they're one of the best 20 teams in the country. Yeah. I I'm excited too. Uh, I think CAA champion is written all over him this season. Right. Um, Literally. Yeah, exactly. I think on their shirts it says CA champions. Um, yeah, I, you kind of knocked it all in the head. They need a, a number two pitcher, whether that is one of the two transfers they brought in or if it's Isabel uh, 
Kelly. Right, Kelly. Why did I want to say file? I was mixing up Hannah file and her name. Shouldn't have said that on the podcast. You will judge me for that. <laughs> um, no, I trust you. But yeah, they need to find a number two. Who is that? We don't really know. Um, in the CAA, it's kind of easier to get by with maybe a not as good number two. I don't think we'll necessarily ever see a one-two punch like Megan Good and Odyssey Alexander was. Mm-hmm. Um, just because Odyssey's was a player of the year and Megan Good was a player of the year. Uh, but this team returns so much offense. It's going to be a great team. Odyssey has power. Bozeman has power. Like you said, Cambry Arnold up top. This team's going to be like what you draw up in what you want a lineup to look like speed at the top power in the middle and good contact at the end. That's exactly what they are. And they're going to run rule. I think we said this last season, I'll stand by it again for this season. I think they'll get more run rule wins in CAA play than they will regular wins um, in CAA play. And I think they might be able to, if they can go three and three against their six ranked opponents to start the season, that's a, that's a solid start. And then, of course, beat every unranked team that they play. They can go three and three against uh, the ranked opponents. This, this is going to be a great season. Yeah, I mean, I'm just so excited about the potential players that we maybe don't know a ton about. Yeah. Too. Um, you look at the fielding ability of this team is really good, and it's really exciting because they'll have, um, you know, probably Alexander or someone like Alexander. That's what they did sort of Alexander and good at times at first. And they also had – who else did they put at first last year? I don't remember, but um, I don't remember either. Hannah Shiflet, that's what it was, right? I, Hannah Shiflet's a sophomore that only fields at first. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, but I think she's a pretty good fielder at first. That is who I was forgetting because she doesn't bat for the most part. That's yep. But they have like players like Victoria Figueroa who came in only as a pinch hitter mostly last year and was nuts. She was batting like 400. So she's a really talented player. They've got speed in the outfield with Cambry Arnold. The whole infield is really good in terms of like batting, right? You've got Hannah File played third. Sarah Jubis at short. Madison Nyokas was great last year at second base. They can field. They can hit. Kate Gordon's also in the outfield. But then you look at the other players. Kayla Bozeman, I'm so excited about her potential, the Mississippi State transfer. Um, at one point in high school, she was in Sports Illustrated's Faces in the Crowd. She was the number 39 recruit nationally in her high school class, a finalist for Tennessee Gatorade Player of the Year 2015-2016. So she's really, really, really good. If she can come in and add hitting ability and add pitching ability that the way that I think she's probably capable of, this team could be way better than people think. It could go from a top 20 team that relies mostly on Odyssey Alexander to a top 10 or a top five team that has a chance to make the women's college world series for the first time in program history. Yeah. And when you wear a number like number 99, you know, there's some you, power. Oh there. yeah. There's something happening, right? <laughs> That's not, just not I'm, a number you pick. <laughs> that is, that is a number i'm just excited because i think when people talked about adding her to the idea was like all right great we added a pitcher but she took a few at bats last season i think she was only like three for seven but her three hits were two doubles and a home run (laughs) so like when she what's that slugging percentage (laughs) but when she hits the ball she's special and if you look at her being able to pitch and hit and you add another power bat in the middle of the lineup, I think it makes the team special. They're certainly going to feel the loss of Megan Good, yeah. but they have enough pieces there that they can do some special stuff. And to me, that's really exciting. So I don't know. I'm excited to watch them Friday. They'll be on ESPN three. I think this is a team that over the course of the season could very well become one of the best in the country. 
and do some special stuff. And that's exciting to me. You know what else is exciting to me? Lacrosse. Lacrosse. Number 23, Virginia Tech. The Hokies come to Centera Park. Oh, that's a big one. It is a big one. Uh, Lax did drop their first game of the season to North Carolina, 15 to 7. Eight goal loss. Not as bad as I thought it was going to be, considering the drop off from 2 to 17 is kind of huge in women's lacrosse in college. Um, but a strong showing. Got some good goals, got some good. Good reps there. Uh, moving to Virginia Tech, I think this is a better game to kind of gauge how good this team is. Um, and I'm really looking forward to going to try and catch some of it on Facebook Live um, tomorrow just to, just to see how this team's doing. Did you catch any of the game against North Carolina? I did not have a chance to watch it. But like you were saying, I think the last 15 years or something, like four programs have combined to win all the national championships. And Jamie was actually one of those in 2018. But it's just like it's a sport dominated basically by like North Carolina and like Maryland and then Northwestern had a really good stretch. Like it's normally just two or three ACC teams dominate women's lacrosse. So it's tough to break through and be a team that, you know, isn't an ACC team and contending for a national title. And it's going to take time for JMU to build a consistent national title threat. But this is a team, like you said, they're they're in that 23 range. That's where they're going up against Virginia Tech is at 23. And if they're able to beat a team like that, it shows that, all right, maybe JMU is legitimately like a top 17, top 15 team. Yeah. And I think that that would be a good step. And, yeah, there's a lot of big-time opponents on the schedule. And I don't think the national – we talked about how, like, the national championship is a perfect storm almost. And yeah, it was. Tough for, to replicate that. But like you were saying, this is a good team with good pieces. And it's fun to watch. It's exciting. And it almost makes me more upset about some of the other sports just because of what we've seen <laughs> – Success-wise, lacrosse and softball, these are two top 15, legitimately top 15 teams of every program in the country. And, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool in terms of softball and lacrosse and some of the other teams that get ranked, like, to see such a high number next to them. Because, like, in football, it's cool to see, like, number one or number two next to them, but that's also not as true. Like that's number one in FCS where you're probably number 50 if you went to the FBS type of thing. But like seeing number 17 against lacrosse, that means they're the 17th best team in the nation. Like in theory, only 16 other teams could beat them. That's what's so exciting about it. And you look at softball, were they 20th? Yeah, 20th. And they've got a chance. I think that they're criminally underrated every season in the preseason. Yeah, when so you're I a major, you are. And they'll, we'll learn pretty quickly, right? Because they've got like, yeah. Texas Tech and Missouri who are 17 and 19. We'll learn very quickly where this team actually stands. And they got Georgia who's at 15. So they could very well become a top 10 team before we know it. Yeah. And I think they're sort of that good. So that's exciting. And it's that success. The football team's obviously pretty good. We had an Elite Eight appearance by the men's soccer team recently. <laughs> forgot about that. I completely forgot about men's soccer. They are. They're building a nice little program there, too. Exactly. And then. People aren't talking about it, but JMU men's golf is so good. <laughs> I they knew it was coming. So, I knew so, it was coming. So good. And I think people – and even what they've been able to do with the women's golf program, I think it's Tommy Baker, if I'm not mistaken. I need to get him on the phone talk to him. He is doing a tremendous job with the women's program. But this men's team, I mean, yeah. <sighs> just try to stay calm this week, right, because they start Friday in the UNCG Martin Downs Collegiate coming off of two consecutive victories in the fall. This is a program – that is awfully good and could do some special things this year. So really everything is pointing up except for men's basketball. 
Um, we just need to see baseball pick it up a little bit, which we talked about in that ability. It's there. The and... potential's there for them. The potential isn't there for basketball right now, but the potential is there for baseball. They've, they've grown every year under Eikenberry. I think the thing that would be so crazy is imagine if JMU had a basketball team. That well, was they do like... have a basketball team. <laughs> do they? <laughs> they because have... I uh, went to see them play one time this year, and they were... it's almost like they didn't show up. <laughs> but they were physically present. That's one thing we don't talk about enough is like every player has shown up to every game when asked to show up. What was your point? <laughs> no, the point is just like imagine if JMU had – like a college baseball team. Well, obviously college, but <laughs> a, base, <laughs> a baseball team. <laughs> a baseball team that could like make the NCAA tournament. And then a basketball men's basketball that could make the NCAA tournament. It would be so it would be a year of just thrilling sports. Instead we've got like a massive winter lull. Yeah. You're right. And it's disappointing. I think that wraps it up with what we have to – I can't talk. Wow, that was really Hire bad. Jonathan Alger's cowboy hat if you want to change the program around. Exactly. The sorting hat knows that Harry is truly a Gryffindor. What are the other – I was thinking about this today. Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and Slytherin? Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw is the one I forgot. Ravenclaw is What, what are the other houses? Man. Ravenclaw is the one I forgot. That's absolutely irrelevant. Whoa, I'm a Ravenclaw. I took Pottermore. I am a Ravenclaw. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll go to Pottermore and you can take your sorting hat quiz. What is that? Pottermore. This is a website. It's a website. It's like a. Should I do it live? Should we do it live on the radio to see if people got here? And we'll be like, hey, if you're here, how long does this take? I think <laughs> it you're takes here, a while. What? MyPottermore.com? I don't know. Just Google Pottermore. Wizarding World, the, offic- the official home of Harry Potter. Where the hell is that? No, that might not be it. Oh, I found it. Yeah, let's do that. The Sorting Hat, Wizarding World. Bear with us, folks. Wait, what the hell? Where's this quiz? It's not a quiz. Where'd you find this? Log in. We have to create a login. <laughs> when did you do this? Long did time. Did you create a login? No, I did this a long time ago. <laughs> This wasn't a thing in your school. Like, this was a thing. I don't remember any of that. All right, this is going to take too long. All right. I'm just going to say that I'm a Gryffindor. Do it off air, and then we'll... uh, I guess I'm a Gryffindor. We'll bring it back. And uh, congrats to me for being in the best house. No, you're definitely a Hufflepuff because you don't want to finish this quiz. Is that something a Hufflepuff would do? They huff and they puffle and they (laughs) puffle. Did you watch Harry Potter? I did, but I don't remember. Those houses were, like, lame. Nobody cool was in those. What do you mean? Like you got the the you one got the that evil... died in the fourth movie was a Hufflepuff. Exactly. <laughs> he died. Uh, well. Okay. Well, for Ben and Conlon, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. Um, see ya.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.